essential requirements for the human body to function properly. And not only does it uh, help us maintain physical and emotional health, it also, um, it also aids in the proper functioning of the brain. And it gives the person the ability to remember things or to uh, pay active attention to events or to make sound and rational decisions. And believe it or not, the opposite is also true because sleeping too much could also be just as problematic. And uh, oversleeping has been associated with actually a number of health problems, including type 2 diabetes, uh, heart disease, obesity, and uh, depression. But either way you go, whether you sleep too much or too little, nothing is worse than sleepwalking your way through life. And today in Psalm 17, King David is going to speak to us uh, about God's protective sovereignty that keeps us safe through the dark night of trials and persecutions that we go through in this life, and about a God who ultimately wakes us up to the reality of his presence in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we're going to be looking at, if you brought your Bibles with you, Psalm 17, the superscription reads, A Prayer of David. And the psalmist writes, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come. Let your eyes behold the right. For you have tried my heart. You visited me by night. You've tested me and you'll find nothing. I have purpose that my mouth will not transgress. With regard to the works of man by the words of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your paths. My feet have not slipped. I call upon you, for you will answer me, O God. Incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. They close their hearts to pity. With their mouths they speak arrogantly. They have now surrounded our steps. They've set their eyes to cast us to the ground. It's like a lion eager to tear us, a young lion lurking in ambush. Rise, Lord. Confront him. Subdue him. Deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. From men by your hand, O Lord, from men of the world whose portion is in this life. You fill their womb with treasure, and they're satisfied with children. They leave their abundance to their babies. But as for me, I shall behold your faith in righteousness. And when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. And you know, as you were reading along there, did you notice that in the superscription where we started out uh, of this psalm, it's called a prayer of David. And that's a pretty rare designation for a psalm because it's much more common for the superscription to tell us the name of the author of the song. Or in some cases, possibly the person that it was uh, written to or written for. Uh, and many of the superscriptions give us information on the original tune or the type of instrument it was written for. But there are only a very few times when a psalm is said to be a prayer. So we should take note of that, right? Psalm 86 is one. It's called a prayer of David. Uh, psalm 90 is called a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Psalm 102 is called a prayer of the afflicted 
And the last time we see a psalm being designated as a prayer is all the way down in Psalm 142, which is said to be a prayer when David was hiding in a cave. And so then today's text is one of only five psalms designated as a prayer. And in this prayer, David, uh, as you can see, was expressing some pretty extreme emotions, particularly his passionate defense of his own personal innocence in the face of an accusing enemy. And I want to just touch on that briefly before we go into a lot of details on the text and the full text of the psalm and point out uh, that David uh, isn't saying in Psalm 17 that he never sinned. So don't, don't misread it or, or mishear it. He's not saying he never sinned. That's not what he's getting at when he speaks of his innocence here. But what he is saying is that whatever difficulty it was that inspired him to write this psalm, uh, he's confident at least in this situation that he's blameless, that he's on the right path. And he's saying uh, just because folks are out to destroy him, there's no justification on their part to be doing it. And so because of that, in writing this psalm, David is, is poetically and prayerfully bringing his situation into the law court of heaven. And that's where we need to take every situation in our life too. Because uh, David knows that in that court, God himself is the judge. And he wants God to hear his case. And so he prays, hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer from lips free of deceit. From your presence, let my vindication come and let your eyes behold the right. And, you know, whether, whether you've been involved in actual litigation for some reason or if you're just one of those folks that enjoy watching courtroom dramas, you know that court cases, whether they're civil or criminal, always involve two parties, right? The, the offender and the offended or, or the, the plaintiff and the defendant. And it's the job of the presiding judge to evaluate the integrity and the actions of both sides to find out whether either one has truly acted innocently or whether they bear some responsibility of guilt. And that responsibility and possessing the actual ability to accomplish that is magnified a hundredfold when it comes to God dispensing justice. Because God sees not only our actual deeds, but he sees our motivations for doing them. That's why... First uh, Samuel 16 says, For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. You know, it's been rightly said that character is what you do when no one else is looking. Character is what you do when no one else is looking. And that's a great quote because, you know, it's easy to appear to have a great Christian character when other folks are around. But it's another thing. It's another thing entirely when you consider what you do when you think no one else is watching because that's what really defines you and today uh, in david's psalm he's letting us know that there's never a time when no one's watching you're not ever alone that's why he says to god you've tried my heart you visited me in the night he's saying even in the privacy of our bedrooms while the rest of the world may be sleeping god is still watching and god can see things about you that no one else can see Deep things, hidden things, uh, you know, those things that, uh, those inner thoughts and those desires that even your family and friends have no idea are even floating around up in your head. Because God is looking at that place inside you where your mind is constantly weighing various uh, options and desires and decisions. And that means he's looking at more than just your behavior. 
He's looking at what you do, and he's looking at why you do it. And that really goes to the level of the heart. And so because of that, it's no wonder that people who only dabble in Christianity uh, or who just play church either give up or end up always being so desperately unhappy and upset all of the time. Because as thinking and feeling human beings made in the image of God, we were not designed to live with systemic contradictions in our lives. We just can't do it. We, we can't profess one thing and then do another and hope to have any peace in our hearts or closeness with Christ. We're not meant to live in hypocrisy. And actually, and I say that because that is truthfully one of my greatest fears that I'll fail to genuinely live out the word that I preach. And, and that constantly preys on my mind. I actually just read a short article on that, uh, on preaching. It was entitled, The Gospel is a Boomerang. And it pointed out how, and this is a quote, it says, uh, preaching can be a hazardous occupation, it said, because when you aim biblical arrows at your congregation intending to hit them where they need to change, you quickly discover that God's word is not just an arrow, it's also a boomerang. It comes back and clobbers the preacher with how he needs to change as well. And you know, that really, that goes for all Christians, all of us who would genuinely share our faith. Because before we can teach other people, we need to apply the word to our own hearts first. And there's no slick formulas or uh, easy shortcuts to do that. But let me just offer a few uh, action points that I, I genuinely think will help. And the first is we need to fight daily to maintain our perspective on life with God. We've got to meet him in his word. And we've got to meet him in prayer. Not just to check off the box that said we did our quiet time today. But we need to come before him and to expose all of those things that are in our hearts in the light of God's word. We've got to come and confess our sins and our struggles and to seek his strength. And secondly, we've got to cultivate uh, honesty and humility with others. Uh, we can't try to impress other people with our godliness and our perfection and our holiness because the truth is most people really know us too well for us to get away with that, right? Right? But we need to let other people know that in ourselves we're weak, but because of God, we're strong. And thirdly, and maybe most importantly, when you read and meditate on the Bible, on the Word of God, aim at applying it personally, just like David did. So remember, he said, by the words of your lips, I have avoided the ways of the violent. My steps have held fast to your path. My feet have not slipped. And when you go to the scriptures, you need to ask yourselves, what does this mean for my life today? How am I supposed to live in light of this text that I just read? Uh, how's it going to affect how I treat my spouse? How's it going to affect where I go today? How's it going to affect what I say and how I say it? Uh, how is God's word going to affect how I spend my money? How is God's word going to affect how I choose my friends? How is God's word that I read going to affect how I use my time and how I use my energy? And yes, believe it or not, even how I cast my vote, because brothers and sisters, you simply cannot profess a faith in one hand and then vote for an opposing lifestyle with the other. People know this. And we also know that we live in a generation that is rife with contradictions in its understanding of moral values. Every single day we are witnessing the confusion and the blurring of lines between good and evil. What we used to call evil, we now call good. What we used to call good, we now call evil. 
And we're witnessing the dismantling of biblical boundaries that were intended to keep us safe. Uh, So like David, when we bring our petitions before God, we need to make sure that we deal with any issues of our own faithfulness and our own obedience to Him or else not wonder why He doesn't answer our prayers. And we can't pass over or, or lie to ourselves or try to avoid consider, considering seriously our faults in the light of the truth that we profess and in the light of God's complete knowledge of us. And David is saying here, uh, he knows that there's a judge on the throne. And he knows that judge is a judge of perfect righteousness. And he knows as one who will hear his cry and defend his actions in intending to live out his faith in this world. And because that's been the case for David in whatever situation prompted him to write this psalm, uh, David's feet haven't slipped off the path. And that's his warning for us. That's why Jeremiah 16, 6 says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you'll find rest for your souls. Because you see, God's path, if we stay in them, are firm and safe. And David's saying he stayed in step with that. He stayed in step with them. And he's not being self-righteous. He's not being self-sufficient. He's simply stating that he is confident that God is going to protect him as he lives out his faith in this world. And then David follows up this statement of confidence with some, some requests to God, some prayers in verses 6 through 8, by asking for that protection based on God's faithful covenant love. And so he prays, I call upon you, for you will answer me, O Lord. Incline your ear to me, hear my words. Wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. And you know, we started out uh, talking about sleeping, and, and David has kind of told us about God visiting him in the night, perhaps maybe right before we fall asleep. And, you know, one of the most common expressions uh, that we use when we talk about sleeping is to call it getting some shut-eye, right? Going to get some shut-eye? Well, have you ever met anyone who sleeps with their eyes open? <laughs> you have? <clears throat> um, my son does that. JJ does that. Uh, and, and it is the creepiest thing that you have ever seen, believe me. Uh, maybe some of you do that, too. Uh, it's a condition called uh, nocturnal logothalamus. And it's pretty common in young people, and they eventually go out, grow out of it, so don't be afraid, buddy. Uh, but it's also common in older folks due to changes in their eyelids by either um, just uh, physical changes that happen there. But if you have it, if you have that condition, whether you're young or old, it's important to be aware of it and take steps to take care of your eyes and to keep them safe. And eyes and seeing are very important parts of our psalm today uh, because in it we see that David trust that he is the apple of God's eye. And you know, the apple of your eye is just an English uh, idiom in the translation for the pupil, right? For that little center part of your eye. Uh, and we tend to protect that, right? You protect, yeah, that's right. Just ask Miss Vicky. Every time she visits the eye doctor and they try to give her that test where they put that bright blue thing up and they touch your eyeball, they practically got to strap her head in the machine, right? And I can't say as I blame her because honestly, whoever wants to get a poke in the eye, It's one of the most vulnerable and sensitive parts of your body. Uh, And it can be easily damaged. So naturally, uh, if a person is wise and discerning about their health and loves and cares for their body, they're going to protect it. 
especially their eyes. So by extension and as a metaphor, knowing that God is both wise beyond measure and his love itself, David trusts that God will protect him in the same way a person would protect his own eye. I think it's a beautiful metaphor. Uh, and that God would shield him from danger uh, and treasure its health and well-being. That's his prayer, that he would be cherished and cared for like as if metaphorically he was the pupil of God's own eye. Uh, and then still in, in poetic and figurative language, he prays, Lord, hide me under the shadow of your wings. Uh, he, he's saying there, Lord, uh, I want you to protect me from my enemies like a mother hen protects his baby chicks. Uh, he's saying, I want you to shelter me from the elements uh, like a sparrow protects the eggs in its nest. Or, or maybe even on a loftier level, he's saying, Lord, uh, send your angels to cover me round about with their wings. But we need to also notice that David's prayer is not just defensive because he also prays for the Lord to act decisively against his enemies. And not just his human enemies, but David is also here perhaps praying for God to confront the enemy, the enemy of our souls. Because if you notice when we were reading it, how David's words change from the plural to the singular here. And he prays, he says, he, not they, but he is like a lion eager to tear as a young lion lurking in ambush. Arise, O Lord, confront him, subdue him. And you know, when I read through that, it kind of reminded me and sounded like the Apostle Peter in his first epistle who wrote to believers telling them, be sober-minded, be watchful, for your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Uh, you know, and in this world, we are constantly barraged with sinful desires prompted by our culture and by our unholy thoughts and by our deeds. But those aren't our only enemies. The Bible is very clear, and both Peter and David tell us that we are under a spiritual attack uh, from another source entirely, and that's the devil. And brothers and sisters, whether you know it or believe it or not, every single person in this room is in a spiritual battle. And you're either on the sidelines or you're picking up your weapons. But you know, just because we're in that spiritual battle, it also comes with a promise, uh, and that is that we have a strong defense, one that's detailed in Ephesians chapter 6. And, and the, the writer, uh, Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then he says, therefore, right? So when you see therefore, you have to wonder what it's there for. And he's going to tell you. Therefore, because of that, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And you know, that really lines up with what David is saying and in his appeal to God in Psalm 17 when he said, Lord, wondrously show your steadfast love, O Savior, of those who seek refuge in you. And then he says, deliver my soul from the wicked by your sword. And prophetically here, when David uh, asked God to send 
his Savior and delivered by his sword, he's asking for Jesus. For Jesus who is God's word. That's what David's praying for. He's praying, send Jesus, send your Christ to deliver me. And so because he prayed that, we have to ask, how does God ultimately answer David's prayer? Did he answer it? Well, of course he did. And he did it ultimately by reversing roles with him and by taking his place. Because David is spared from the evil of his enemy who looked to destroy him, and God in his time and according to his plan in Jesus Christ steps in and takes his place and takes ours too. And he takes it by becoming the object of evil, evil completely undeserved on the cross where he was sacrificed in David's place and in my place and in your place if you're in Jesus Christ. At the cross where Jesus, God's beloved son, the very apple of his eye, willingly stepped into time and into humanity to forgive my sins and to restore my peace. Uh, The kind of peace that caused David to write in an earlier psalm when we looked at back in Psalm 4, he wrote, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone make me dwell in safety. And so back in that psalm and in today's, David tells us no matter what's going on around us, uh, no matter uh, who or what is attacking us, we can lie down and sleep in peace. Uh, David knew he could lie down at the end of a, another long day of running from his enemies and not be afraid. Uh, David didn't jump at things that go bump in the night. David slept in peace because he said he had someone watching over us, and so he could say at the end of today's text in Psalm 17, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. And when I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. And, and he's saying... When we look to our Savior, that if we're in Christ, then no matter how great the threats are from the outside, no matter how troublesome the health issues may be on the inside, no matter whether our loved ones die before us, uh, if this country should be plunged into conflict, if our government should collapse, God will ensure that we dwell in the secret place of the Most High. God will ensure that we dwell under the safety of His wings. And that even beyond that, even beyond that sweet promise to be able to rest safely in this life, we have the greater promise that when you and I come to that last sleep that we'll ever know, that sleep from which there's no reawakening in this world, that we will rest in peace and wake up safely in the arms of Jesus. Because God will ultimately answer David's prayer and ours in the promised resurrection to come. In the, the promised day that one day we are going to wake up and be satisfied with his likeness. That's our trajectory of our future if Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. And it's also the sure promise of Revelation chapter 22 about the reality of our hope and our awakening in heaven. And we're told there that no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. And they'll see His face. And His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun For the Lord God will be their light. And for every one of us in Christ, that's our hope. Our hope that we'll be fully remade in Christ, fully transformed into His image and freed from this sinful flesh into a resurrected body. That's what David was focused on. On that day that he would behold God's face in righteousness and be with Him forever. So take that as your encouragement today. That when you look around at the world and you see that it's Its pains and pleasures are fleeting, that its fads and fashions are disappearing, 
that our possessions, no matter how dear uh, in this world, are rusting and fading. And the pursuits of this world, no matter what they are, prove they will not ultimately fulfill. Know this. For all of those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, one day we're going to wake up to the truth. So keep your eyes fixed on that day. Live for that day. Let that day drive your decisions for this day. Let that day give you hope and anticipation and joy and safety and peace in our God who has given us the most incredible gift of life in Jesus Christ. So brothers and sisters, it's time to wake up. The night is over and God's got work for us to do. Will you pray with me?